You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. So good to be with you guys. Aloha, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here at Reality Honolulu. Uh, my name is Riz, a pastor here. If I have not yet met you, I'd love for you to come and uh, introduce yourself or we can get to know each other more after service. Uh, but this is our time in service where we get into the Word of God and allow it to speak to us. Here at Reality, we hold an extremely high value of God's Word and what it is and what it's for in part of our service. So we dedicate a large portion of our Sunday mornings to study it and read it and specifically look into the life of Jesus. And so if you have, if this is your first time, then you're, we're jumping back into a series. If you've been here for at least the last four months. We've been in the series, The Miracles of Jesus. And we're currently in this series, and we're spending a couple months in it, leading up to summer. And we're, every Sunday, we're selecting a different miracle of Jesus that he performed in the gospel accounts. So if you open up, uh, maybe for your homework this week, if you want to dig into more of it, Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or all four of them. They're eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, specifically the three-year public ministry leading up to his death, uh, where we see him interacting with humanity on a really powerful, uh, amazing level. And the reason why we're doing this, the reason, the purpose of this series, why you know, normally we would teach like verse for verse, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through a book. We do that. But the reason for this series specifically is we really feel like this, t- this season in our church, we want to encounter the person of Jesus. Because we know that there's a lot of things you can think about Jesus. And there's a lot of things maybe you could be told about him. Depending on your upbringing, you have perceptions of God, perceptions of church, perceptions of the Bible. And what better way to actually go and look at the person of Jesus and the words he said and specifically how he interacted with people because in doing so, when you look at Jesus and how he cared for people or how he healed someone or who he went after, specifically you'll realize the theme is it's the marginalized, it's the downtrodden, it's the outcast, it's the people in society that were the most broken he went after. What it does is it actually shows us the very heart of God the Father, of like creator God. In the person of Jesus, we see the exact representation of God. And again, we have like the whole spectrum of who God is, right? Again, depending on your upbringing, depending on the movies you watch, depending on if you've read the Bible or not, we have a perception of who God is and his intentions towards us and what he thinks of us and how we should act in light of all those things. We have tons of opinions, but in order to have the right one, it's to go to the Bible and look at the person of Jesus and really to see who God is. And so that's why we're doing this. And so Every week until the last few weeks because of Easter and Palm Sunday and whatnot, we've been doing this. And so you can go back on our website and kind of catch up. But today, specifically, we're looking at an interaction of Jesus uh, healing this woman that's been crippled, couldn't stand up straight for 18 years. 
and he miraculously heals her. So I'm going to read it for us. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me, to join with me. Uh, Luke chapter 13. On these tables, kind of right as you walk in, there's signs that say Bibles, and there's a pile of Bibles. Feel free to go grab those, and if you don't have a Bible, take those home with you. I'd love to get those in your hand. But here is kind of our text or the miracle that we're going to be looking at today, and it's from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, and here's what it says. We'll read it, and then we'll pray. It says, One Sabbath day... As Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight how she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. He said, there are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? Verse 17, it says, This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that we have in front of us, that in this place we can freely and publicly read and study and share. God, even today in this kind of window into this story, I pray that even though this is like so far removed from our culture and our time in history and our even place in the world, we thank you that your word is, it, 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 um, spans generations, spans millennia, it's timeless, that what's happening today and the things that we can glean from it is for us now. And God, I pray even for myself and those in this room that we would not um, miss out on what you have, but rather you would soften our hearts and you would give us open ears and minds to receive, to hear from you this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd I'd be your mouthpiece. Speak through me for your glory and your namesake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, right, we have this interaction again. And what you'll see in the Gospels is this is not a, um, maybe a unique situation. Jesus, if uh, he rubbed, if there's tension in the Gospels, it's with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus would perform these incredible miracles and they were just out to get him. And there was reasons for that. But these were his critics. These were the naysayers. They would, he would be, literally be followed by him in crowds from synagogue to synagogue, from city to city. And they would pick apart something he did. And ultimately, they would play a part in sending him to the cross. Because in their mind, 
He was committing blasphemy. He was pretending to be God. He was claiming to be God. And he was doing all these incredible miracles. But in their minds, he wasn't doing it in the way or the timing that they thought was right. And and according to their interpretation of the Torah and the Old Testament, he was going against that. And so even today we see this like incredible miracle. Like if there was someone here in this room that we knew had been crippled for 18 years and this person, Jesus, like goes out of his way and he heals this woman and she stands up. Like who cares what day it is? We would all be like rejoicing and praising God. But again, these guys, like they do, like over and over. You read the Gospels this week as your homework. You'll see the Pharisees and the Sadducees like, You hate these guys. They're just giving Jesus a hard time, and they are literally ripping apart the goodness of God. I don't mean to bag on them too much, but man, they're not a loved people in my mind. There's a couple things in this story that I want us to, like, glean from. I want us to take from. And I have four points, so if you're taking notes, uh, and that's, that's you if you're more linear, then this is good for you. But number one, so number one, at least you know where I'm going, the number one thing we can glean from this interaction today is that Jesus wants to restore and renew creation. And this window, this one story in Luke 13 in the synagogue where Jesus heals this woman that was crippled for 18 years is one example of God's, like, big plan. God's big heart for humanity, for creation. Actually, for all of it. See, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, right, and you turn to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, what we'll see is that God created everything. Moon and the stars and the animals and Adam and Eve and humanity. And after every day and after everything he created, what does it say? He says those things were very good. Those things were good. Those things were very good. Like everything in creation was perfect. I mean, there was nothing out of order. It was as God wanted. It was perfection. It was the Garden of Eden. But what happens is that sin enters that perfect creation, right? And it comes from disobedience from Adam and Eve. They disobey God. God says, you you can have the whole world. It's all yours. To farm and to till and to enjoy, it's all yours. Just don't do one thing. What do they do? They do that one thing. They disobey God. And what happens is, in probably like one of the saddest moments in all of creation's history from the inception of time, sin enters a perfect world. And sin is like throwing the hugest wrench in the gears of this perfect creation. And it literally infects and stops and messes with every part of God's perfect design, starts falling apart. Literally, all the systems, all, 
it all starts. And what happens is this humanity is like born into and carries on all these sinful behaviors. And so then in 2023, that's why like the news is what it is. We live in like broken after brokenness, evil, like pain, death, heartbreak, division, like you name it. It's nothing like Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Like I don't know. I mean, again, it's, that's why like living in Hawaii over the last couple of years has been amazing because you just look at a sunset and you're like, okay, God's good. But other than that, it's complicated, right? Like there's not much you can find. There's moments that we can see, but we are so far removed from that story of Scripture or that, that we see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It was perfect, but sin entered, and all things are messed up. But once again, what's the story of Scripture? Because it doesn't end there, just in brokenness. The story of the Bible is that God will try it a bunch of different ways, and it didn't work because humanity didn't really make it work. And then he sent his only son to ultimately die on a cross to save and redeem and forgive and restore humanity from their sin back to perfect harmony with God once again. That's why like the cross and Easter weekend and like Sunday morning and Good Friday, it's like, because it's the only thing that can fix all the problems. That's why it's like such a big deal. It's not just like, let me just trust in this guy named Jesus. You're like, no, no, no. That's God's rescue plan plan to save and redeem and restore and renew the whole of creation, past, present, and future. I guess it's a big deal. But again, we, we need to know that like what we see here in Luke 13 is one little piece of God's whole heart for all of creation, for all of time, for all cultures and all peoples. God wants to redeem and restore people back to how they're supposed to be. And here we see physical healing. God also like wants to do that. Does he always Again, that's a whole other sermon, God's sovereignty and why things don't work out. And we, okay. But what is God's heart ultimately, and what does he want to do in this world today? Well, the Father's heart and the mission of Jesus is that God's perfect kingdom would come to earth. Jesus even tells his disciples, he said, here's how you should pray. And like the majority of the prayer is asking them to pray heaven into earth. Meaning like, pray God's love and his peace and his joy and his healing and his provision like in all the broken places like jesus god the father wants to restore and renew all of creation like everything that has been broken by sin god wants to restore and change and bring healing and bring unity and bring his kingdom and that's why like it's so important that we as christians like are aware of that so it's not that we because it'd be easy just to what we call escapism i'm just going to wait till jesus gets back and just hold on tight because this thing's getting worse that's that's true but actually we're supposed to like enter into it and go oh i am the ambassadors of this of god's kingdom into this mess So actually, Christians are not supposed to run from the mess. We're actually supposed to be right in the middle of the mess. I know you're like, wow, really? This is what you're talking about today? Yeah. 
Like we are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world to see God's kingdom come because Jesus wants to restore and renew all of creation. We see here in Luke 18. Secondly, what we see in Luke 18 is that Jesus breaks all the social norms to see renewal come. See, in this scenario, right, it's the Sabbath day. Jesus is in the synagogue, the place of Jewish worship. They're <laughs> Everyone's gathered to worship on the Sabbath and not do work, right? And what Jesus does is he's in the synagogue as well, this Jewish rabbi. He's in there, and he sees this woman. He heals this woman. And again, everyone that's very legalistic and very strict to their interpretation, instead of seeing like, oh my goodness, someone just was healed, they're like, shouldn't have done it then. You're like, I don't know if you know these kind of people. You're like, dude, you're missing the whole point. We, we all know. We all know these people. Something amazing happens. And again, we all have a tendency to do this. So it's not just those people. It's going to be our people. We go, yeah, but. And you're like, no, I know. I get it. But did you see what just happened? But what we see here is that Jesus was happy to break whatever social norms they had put up in order to see healing come. He did this a lot with who he hung out with. Jesus, like, you would be really weirded out today. To this day, you would be really weirded out who Jesus would hang out with in society. And I think all of us in a little way would be like, Jesus, you're really hanging out with them. You're really dining with those people. You're going over to there. Like, but they're such a bad influence or they're so negative or they're so sinful. And what Jesus did is he modeled that incarnational living where he himself put himself in proximity to people that needed it most. That's why, like, the Pharisees over and over would say, Jesus, why did you dine with the prostitutes? Or why are you hanging out with the Roman tax collectors that are oppressing us? Or, Jesus, why did you go out of your way to hang out with a Sumerian woman? Because Jews don't hang out with Sumerians. There's this ethnic and racial divide. And Jesus says, I'm going to break all of that to see my kingdom come. It's just like the world today. We put up so many barriers and so many things, uh, whether it's with each other or even with God. See, what we see Jesus doing here is he breaks, breaks what's proper and he breaks what's expected and he breaks any confinements that were put on him and God's kingdom comes. But I think instead of just pointing the finger at the Pharisees today, if we were honest, myself and all of us, we probably do this with God too. We, we give him parameters that he can live and exist in. Right? We say, well, God, I think you can do that, but I don't really think you can do that. Or we pray about something and we're like, oh, yeah, I have a lot of faith that God can provide here. But then over here we're like, I don't know if God can do that. That's putting confinement. That's putting parameters. That's God is existing in our own paradigm and our own thoughts of what he can and can't do. And my challenge to us from this story today is to maybe for, maybe it's during second set of worship, maybe it's this week, is to actually sit down and go, think about your own life. And you could ask yourself something like, what confinements are we putting upon the Lord 
that are limiting his work or limiting his kingdom. And it happens all the time because I've been in pastoral ministry, working with Christians in churches and, and, and for like 17 years. I, I see it happen a lot with um, people's perception of themselves, like their personality or if they're introverted or extroverted or how long they've been a Christian or their giftings. And all of a sudden they like don't even pray or think God will use them in a certain way because they're, they're not that way. And I'm like, I don't think you've been reading the Bible. The disciples were like, <laughs> the followers of Jesus in the Bible were like the ra- most ragtag people. Like, like they were not the cream of the crop, so to speak. They did not have all the giftings and all the influence and all the power and all the skill. And they were not all extroverted and they were not all good at stuff. If anything, they were super ordinary. They're super regular, you so to speak. They were just, they're just like everybody else. But God miraculously used them to change the world. And I think a lot of times we do that to ourselves as Christians when it comes to, well, I can't just go like talk to someone because I'm not good at talking or whatever. I'm like, no, no, God can use you. Or you know what? No, I'm not like that. I'm not like, like Riz, you have so much energy and you're extroverted. I know. But that doesn't always work the best with everyone. So many times where it's like, it's better if you're just you. It's going to be better. And so I think so many times we can put confinements on the Lord, what he can and can't do, who he can and can't heal in our life, who he can and can't save in our life. Like, you name it. I think we've either given up or we put confinements or we put parameters. And what Jesus is showing us today is he's like, I want to pop that notion of you putting me in a box. I'm God. I want to restore and renew all of creation, and I want to break walls and barriers that you've put up to do so. Again, I I want us to see like a a, a right view of who God is. Because again, we can easily put him in a box. But he's like, get me out of the box. I'm not in the box. I'm outside of it. Point three, moving on. What we can see here is that Jesus restores when all hope is lost. I want us, I think it's going to be a powerful if you yourself put yourself in the shoes of the woman in the room that's been crippled for 18 years. Put yourself there. Like, go there right now. Do it right now. You're a woman. And for 18 years, this is 2,000 years ago, no medicine, no modern medicine, there's nothing. This has left you, like, really outcast by society. Cannot work. Like, who knows her family situation? Who knows the social norms? You are a cripple. You can't even bend up 18 years. Put yourself in her. I don't, again, we don't know how she was crippled. We don't know if it was an accident. We don't know if she was born that way. We don't have any clue. We don't have that. We don't have that. But just put yourself in this woman's shoes. And think I can just imagine that maybe when it first happened to her when she's young, I'm just assuming maybe there was some kind of hope that it wouldn't last forever. Like, who knows, right, what's going through her head? But maybe there was a time where she had more hope than not, that like her debilitating disease or whatever it was, her infirmity, would someday get better. But can you imagine, like, 18 years goes on, like, (laughs) I'm sure, like, Six months in, she maybe lost hope. 
Maybe it was rekindled. But 18 years, like, dude, you're, you're like, this is forever. And guys, I don't know like, if you can tell where I'm going, but we all have those things in our lives that we've either wanted or hoped for or prayed for. And over time, what happens? We stop praying and we stop losing hope that that's ever going to happen. We all do it. doesn't matter if it's like a stage of life, if it's spouse, if it's kids, if it's job, if it's desires. Like, you name it. Like, everyone has it at one time or another. Maybe it's not as dramatic for 18 years, but we all have those things we really hoped and wanted to do, and we just don't see it happening. And it's really left us, for some of us, it's left us in a really hard spot. Right, because you can begin to question God's character and his goodness. Like, God, if you can heal anybody or if you can provide for them, why not me? You know what I'm talking about. Like, it's really deep, this subject. It's really deep. And, and I know that all of us are in a different space with it. And I'm not saying today that God is going to for sure give you all those things. That's not what I'm saying. But I want us to sit in God's character in light of the pain we feel. When we feel like the thing that you want right now, maybe you haven't thought about it in years, and I don't mean to trigger you or stir you up right now, but, but I'm sure all of us have something we want that hasn't happened yet. So sit in that, but also I want us to be reminded of the character of God and his heart towards us. Some examples, like one example would be like in Joel chapter 2, there's a verse, and there's this concept that God restores the years the locusts have eaten. Again, in context, it's, it's most likely just like lost crops and harvest from the previous years by locusts. But again, back then, like farming is everything. That's your subsistence living. Like that's everything. That's a really big deal if somehow God is going to redeem and restore all those years of lost produce and crops. Like that's life-changing. Again, that's back then in a farmer. But even in context there, there was a time when these people in Joel chapter 2, hope was lost. And perhaps they were feeling hopeless that it was ever going to get better. And so the biblical characters there, the authors, go, hey, just be reminded that God not only can, like, fix your situation, he can actually redeem and restore the years the locusts have eaten. That concept translates to more than just locusts and wheat. That's you and I. That's the redemptive story of the gospel that you may have lived a life that was, like, super wayward. Like, you did a lot of things that you shouldn't have, and you messed up a lot of... God's like, you know what I want to do? I actually want to not only save you and like change your life, but I actually want to redeem and restore all those years, quote unquote, that the locusts have eaten. And if we had four more, maybe ten more hours, and all of you shared your testimonies, all of you would testify that God redeems and restores those things that we thought were lost. We would. So let's do it right now. I don't know. But I'm just saying, like, it... It's not just Joel chapter 2. It's like our testimonies. This is what God does. He like makes all these broken things in our life from the past. He actually can like restore and renew and make like beauty from ashes. Which is also what the Bible talks about. Like that's what he does. Ashes 
Like it's burnt to a crisp. There is nothing left. And what the Bible says is that God's actually able to make beauty from something that is completely lost. Again, it doesn't stop there. Like the psalmist over and over talks about this idea that God can turn our mourning into dancing. Right? Something that we're broken over and mourning over. God can literally bring joy into that space once again. But again, I know it's quick for us to be like, no, he doesn't. He hasn't. I understand. We're, we're, we're hurt. We're jaded. We have experiences. But I want us to just sit in like the truth of who God actually is. Is that he actually can bring beauty from ashes. Restore the years the locusts have eaten. Like bring joy from morn, uh, out of mourning. And so my encouragement for all of us today that may be sitting here thinking about these things, that thing that maybe we have lost hope or we've given up on, I just want us to be encouraged today to be open and maybe pray again that God would do that again. Because I know, again, if I lined you up and I said, okay, what thing have you closed your heart to that you think is lost? We'd all have a laundry list of them. So I want to encourage you to be like, hey, be reminded of what God wants to do. Again, I don't want to give you false hope and be like, he's going to give you everything you please to the T. No, but he can, and I think he wants maybe to open your heart up to himself in those areas, maybe, to pray about him again. And last point. Okay, I'm ending plane is coming to a landing. Fourth point, Jesus wants us to partner with him to see renewal come. I got excited. I kind of talked about this a little bit already. But it doesn't just stop there that God can do it, and this is God's heart. He actually brings it home, and Jesus wants us to partner with him to see renewal come. Again, we are, as Christians, if you are a follower of Jesus— we are the primary means by which Jesus does this. We are the ones to carry out his work of renewal in the world. Like, don't look to anyone else. It's our generation right now, in our time in history, in our place we call home or wherever God will lead you. Like, wherever you are placed, it's, it's you. Like, whatever job you have, whatever neighbor you have, wherever you shop, whatever friend you have, like, that is your sphere. That is where God has placed you. Like, we are the ones to carry out the work of, the renew of renewal, meaning, like, we're the hands and feet of Jesus to help make things that are broken right. That's why, like, if you read the Bible, there is this, like, heavy but also joyful but also heavy responsibility to, as Christians, we're supposed to feed the poor. We're supposed to clothe those that don't have clothing. And the forerunners of this, like, really took it to heart. And, like, the whole, really the reason why we have hospitals is Christians care for the sick when no one would. There's all these organizations in society that were started with Christians, this, like, social, like, mercy and justice ministries, because people went, well, that's the job of the church. That's, that's the person of Jesus, is to go after the marginalized and the broken and the downtrodden and the outcast. 
Because that's what Jesus did. And as followers of Jesus, we're to mimic and we're to emulate what he did. To make sick people well and feed the hungry and make broken things right and save the lost. We're the mouthpieces. We're the ambassadors. We're the examples of Jesus to the world. And, you know, I got saved in middle school. And so I've heard this. I mean, I think it's kind of cheesy now, but it's super true. But it's the saying that, like, you may be the only Bible people see. I don't know if you've heard that. If you grew up in the church, you probably sure did. But Meaning, like, we, I think we think everyone knows about Jesus. We knows about who he is. They've heard it before, and they don't want to hear about it. I guarantee you that is not true. Depending on your upbringing and where you came from, you're like, well, everybody went to church growing up. That's not true. Even if they did, that doesn't mean that they know the person of Jesus and what he's about and his heart towards them and what he offers them. Who do we think is going to take that to them? It's us. And so I think there's this beautiful tension where it's like we know who God's character is. We sit in this broken world. And God is ultimately going to do the work, but how he's going to do it, he's going to do it through us. We actually get invited in to be like co-laborers with Christ. Bible talks about that also. That we now carry on the task, the job to be Jesus to those around us. And so even like our identity as a church, as Reality Honolulu, like mission statement or go on the website or Look at the sign when you're driving through. We're a community following Jesus, seeking renewal in the land. So all that I'm talking about, if I seem extra excited, it's because Kaimana gave me a good-sized coffee. That's one reason. But it's also because I do feel like this is almost the ethos of who we're supposed to be. Hey, we're a community following Jesus? That's good, but it's not all of it. Seeking renewal in the land, like what's broken and how can we be a part of making it right? What's out of whack? What needs love and hope and healing and unity? And like, let's be that to the world around us because the world is so in desperate need of Jesus. And what I mean is that the heart of God and the character of God shown to the world. And so my, my last few application questions, if you're taking notes, just to kind of dwell on this week, would be this. Where does God have you? And where does he want you to play a role in his kingdom? Right? How does he want all of us to, f- to be used in our unique sphere, with our unique giftings, with our unique resources? Because there's a reason why we don't work at all the same jobs and have the same amount of money and have the same family. There's a reason. God's actually been strategic in where he has us. Whether you like where you are or not, God wants to use you there for his glory and his goodness. And there's actually no one else right now that can do it. So we're all valuable. Like, because like, I can't speak to your friend. It's not my friend. I don't work with your coworker. I don't email the same person. 
We all have these different touch points, and so God wants to use us uniquely in a unique way. But my challenge to us, even as we enter into worship, is really sit in, like, have we even asked or thought about this? Right, for, for me personally, as a pastor, um, as part of, like, trying to, to help us to enter into the work of the ministry in the world, and I kind of have, I, I mean, I know exactly, like, I'm a pastor, or I'm a Christian in this realm, or I live in this neighborhood, or my kids go to these schools, and so I know, okay, like, that's my missions field, so to speak, to be Jesus to the people around me, because I can't be Jesus to everyone. But I want us to be challenged and, like, excited, and I hope not too overwhelmed or too burdened, because I don't want to put that on that. I just want all of us to be Jesus to those around us, because he wants to see his kingdom come, and he wants to use us to do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you invite us in to seeing like what sin has broken in this world actually come to healing and redemption and restoration. And God, I know that each of us are in a different space and each of us are dealing with different brokenness ourselves. And just like our story today, I pray that we would not lose hope, but we would rather invite you into it and continue to trust you and your power and your goodness. And Lord, we also just pray that you would maybe embolden us, maybe encourage us. Maybe even it's just changing our frame of thought to look at our neighbor differently. Or maybe it's instead of just like survival and keeping all our stuff to ourselves, maybe what you're doing today is making us a more generous people with our time and our talent and our treasure. God, whatever it is, I pray that we'd be open to it. Like I pray we'd be open to what your Holy Spirit is doing in us today. And even as we worship this morning, that we would hear from you, that we'd praise you, that there would be heart change in this time. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.